You're listening to the Nixon Now Podcast. I'm Jonathan Mavroitis. This is brought to you by the Nixon Foundation. We're broadcasting from the Richard Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. You can follow us on Twitter at Nixon Foundation or at nixonfoundation.org. Patrick J. Buchanan ran for president three times in 1992, 1996, and the year 2000. Some say his influence can still be felt in modern, the modern political landscape. He worked in the Reagan administration as director of communications, but got a start under Richard Nixon, first as a campaign aide in 1968, and then as an advisor and speechwriter to President Nixon. In her new book, due out this October, Advising Nixon, the White House Memos of Patrick J. Buchanan, Chapman University professor of political science and presidential expert Lori Cox Hahn judicially selects significant memos that have impacted the Nixon presidency. She is with us in studio today. Dr. Lori Cox Hahn, welcome. Thanks, Jonathan. Just to start off, could you tell us a little bit about the genesis of Advising Nixon? Sure. This book has been something I've wanted to do for years. I've done a lot of research at presidential libraries. I've actually conducted research at all 13 of the NARA presidential libraries. But one of the earliest uh, archives that I had the chance to work in uh, were the Nixon archives back when they were in College Park, Maryland, before they moved to Yorba Linda. And I was studying White House communication strategy, so obviously wanted to take a look at some of the Buchanan files. And when I did, just reading through the memoirs, they were just so fascinating. And throughout the years of all of the research that I've done at all of the presidential libraries, there really wasn't anything that matched just how interesting Buchanan's memos were. He writes in a very candid, very direct way, just like he speaks, just like he writes uh, op-eds. And so I always thought it would be really interesting to put together a compilation of some of his most interesting memos to really show the influence that he had in the Nixon administration in terms of their, you know, political strategies, communication strategies, just just how essential his view was to the Nixon White House. Uh, Pat Buchanan always talks about coming on uh, on the Nixon campaign as a uh, reporter, beginning as a reporter for the St. Louis Globe Democrat, and then he um, Nixon he brings him on to mainly handle his correspondence. How does he become so influential? How does he become this memo writer that gets the president's or the 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 candidates' um, attention? I think because he was working so closely with Nixon leading up to the 1968 campaign. I mean, he was traveling with him in 1966 when Nixon was out campaigning for so many Republicans. And I think that, you know, his his experience as a journalist and just his insight in politics and also his his connection to prominent conservatives at the time, I think, seemed important to Nixon because... You know, Nixon was much more pragmatic. He he certainly was not a conservative the way we would define it now or even the way it was defined then. And so I think Buchanan became that essential link to uh, another part of the Republican Party at a time when Nixon was really trying to bring the party together and create this great majority. Did Buchanan cooperate with you on this book? Yes, he did. Uh, he, I was in touch with him a few years ago just to let him know I was doing this. And we actually traded emails, had a phone call or two, and uh, I was able to provide him a, a handful of memos that he did not have when he was finishing his book. And he was always gracious with me in answering any questions I had about the memo writing process and just his role in, in the White House and just um, all of the strategy that was involved in everything that was going on. Why is Pat Buchanan important to Richard? Why is understanding Pat Buchanan under, uh, important to understanding Richard Nixon? I think that his views and his connection to the conservative movement at the time and his more populist views, they were really on the vanguard as far as where we're at right now. I mean, if you, if you look at the, the rhetoric uh, and 
some of the the policy issues that are coming out of the Trump administration that started to emerge in the Trump campaign, you can see a connection that dates back to some of the um, you know conservative thought processes that were going on in the Nixon administration very early on. And I think one of the most interesting parts of the memos as I went through them that Pat wrote were the ones where he's talking to Nixon about, you know, this is what's going on with the conservative wing of the party. This is where you're losing them. This is where you still have support. And I think that some of the groundwork then there is being laid for how it plays out moving the Republican Party further to the right with Reagan, with with, an ele- with the election of, of a real conservative, and then how it continues to evolve through the 1990s and, and really how it gets us to the point of Donald Trump in 2016. What does populism mean, conservative populism mean for Pat Buchanan in the mid-1960s? Uh, I, I would hate to put words in his mouth because he's so good at, you know, articulating his own view. But it seemed that he had a very pragmatic view of race relations in this country, for one, and identity politics. And, and it, you know, I know that a lot of people consider him very controversial. But in the memos that I was reading, and maybe it's my training as a political scientist, that he's analyzing voting data in a way that, at least to someone who's trained like I am, made sense for how to understand the electorate and how to put together a much larger majority uh, than really any Republican had 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 in a very long time. And just understanding the changing demographics in this country, and that that was really, I think, my biggest takeaway from it. Talking about that a little bit, uh, Buchanan says his memo of October 8th, 1969, triggered what what is known as the decisive uh, silent majority speech. Could you touch upon that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that that really is, and, and in my, you know, my contact with him, you know, he reiterated that to me is how important that was. I mean, that really does shape a lot of Nixon's strategy. It wasn't just about certain policies at the time. After 1968, which was such a close election, their, their goal really was to create that great majority and make sure that the Republican Party would have a majority for decades moving forward, similarly to what FDR had, you know, with the New Deal coalition. And so I think that that, that was so important in, in reaching out to those members of the, you know, the, the electorate who felt that they weren't being represented by uh, media coverage at the time and, and all, of, all of the tumultuous things that were happening in the country. And so I, I think from a strategic standpoint, that was, that was really a smart move. In, Buchanan, in Buchanan's view, who was, that, who was that new majority? Who was that coalition? Were they, uh, you know, were, were, are they Catholics? Are they ethnic voters? Who, who, who are they? For for a lot of a lot of it, it was yes, it was definitely ethnic voters. He talks a lot about, um, you know, Italian Americans, Polish Americans, um, you know, working class Americans, and but also he he actually spends a lot of time talking about in in some memos talking about how African American voters are you know are not being well served by the Democratic Party. I mean, you, you hear those talking points now about you know people questioning the the loyalty that African American voters have had over these years to the Democratic. Democratic Party, where, you know, Buchanan is starting to talk about why the the Democratic Party may not be the best to represent, you know, that that voting demographic back then. And so I think that while, you know, the way we we categorize voters now and these really, you know, small demographic groups, I think Buchanan was seeing it as as more 
more broad pace, but much more of an economic issue than I, I you know, I think that uh, sometimes he gets credit for. Could you take, a, take us a little bit through how you selected these particular memos for this, for advising Nixon? Yeah, that, that was hard because there were so many, and there were so many good ones that I could not uh, include because my editor uh, kept reminding me that, you know, there was a word limit to this book. And actually, I got him to go a little higher than we originally planned. Um, and so I really wanted to focus on the ones that really talked directly to some of the key issues. You know, there were there's not much in the book about, you know, something like Vietnam, for example, or even Watergate. But I really wanted to focus on the strategic implication of Buchanan's work and the the role that he was playing in representing the conservative movement at that point within the Nixon White House. I really also wanted to focus on the the communication aspect, the speech writing aspect, you know, the the message and narrative narrative that was coming from Nixon that was being guided in part by Patton, what he was writing and, and what he was advising. Could you touch upon the 1968 campaign? You devote a chapter to that. How did uh, Patrick B. J. Buchanan advise your One memo particularly talks about the use of television. Can you describe TV, his view of TV's role in the campaign? I think he recognized how important it was becoming, but he also recognized that it might not be the best venue for Richard Nixon. And, you know, John F. Kennedy set a standard using television in 1961 when he first took office that was very difficult for every president that came after him in the next two decades to, to you know, live up to. We don't really see that happen again until Ronald Reagan becomes president. And so, you know, I mean, people always talk about, my students always want to talk about the, the Nixon-Kennedy debates in 1960. And, you know, I think there's a myth out there about the the effect that really did have on the outcome of the election because there were so many other factors that were coming into play. But clearly, you know, Nixon wasn't as comfortable on television as Kennedy was or, you know, at that in 1968 early on as, as Bobby Kennedy was or some other politicians. So I think Pat just saw it as this is something we have to deal with even though this is not his forte. And was very honest about, you know, uh, where he talks about how, you know, voters already kind of know who Richard Nixon is, and it's not, they're not voting based on a personality, and because if, if, if it's the personality that's going to win the contest, then, you know, maybe, maybe Nixon isn't going to win. That they really wanted to use, you know, go go through television, but to use other means to promote Nixon's policy experience, his, his governing experience, and, and his view of the world. And so I think that that's early on a very honest assessment of the, the pros and cons of television for Richard Nixon. Chapter three, you focus on communication strategies. Um, one particular message, or one particular um, memo talked about the creation of the White House news summary, which uh, which Pat Buchanan would eventually oversee. What is the news summary, and how did that become helpful to the president? How did the president use it? Well, <clears throat> according to Pat, Nixon, Nixon read the news summary very closely every single day, and there were so many people in the White House that were concerned with you know, what was being said about the Nixon administration in every form of media possible. And this is one of the ways in which the Nixon administration was actually groundbreaking and sets a very important precedent for future 
White House communication teams because this still happens in one form or another since that time. I mean, the Nixon administration created the Office of Communication, but they also created the Daily News Summary. And so it really starts to uh, institutionalize this relationship between the president and the press in a way we haven't seen before in that White House advisors are basically tracking the outcome of their their work with reporters and how the president is being covered. And so one of the, the most fascinating resources for me in the Nixon Library is, you know, the files with all of the daily news summaries. You have the files that have just the, the daily news summaries as they were delivered to Nixon. And then you have the, the second set that is the annotated version with Nixon's comments. And so you can see how closely the president was looking at this in the comments and the thought process. And just you, you see the evolution of that relationship between the president and the press. And it's just fascinating. Could you talk, uh, chapter four talks with uh, politics and governance. What were some of the important memos that deal with Vietnam and other big issues like civil rights or law and order. Could you touch upon that a little bit? Yeah, I think that what I found in some of the memos was just on some things. I mean, Pat wasn't necessarily a policy advisor, you know, on specific issues yet. He was in the broader sense of this is how it's going to play. This is how it fits into the overall, you know, agenda of the Nixon administration. This is this is how it fits in with our overall political strategy. And so it always seemed like it was one more voice for the president to hear on how the nation was going to be reacting to how, you know, the Nixon administration was dealing with Vietnam or dealing with some of these these issues. So, um, you know, some of the more interesting memos to me, actually, um, partly just because of my, my own research interests and teaching interests are the uh, the memos on the uh, vacancies on the Supreme Court. So that those were some I really wanted to to work into that chapter, just the, the thought process of, you know, who they should be nominating and why sounds an awful lot like what, what you know, I'm sure more recent White Houses have, have um, contemplated as well as far as do we want someone who, you know, can get approved or do we want someone who really does live up to our view of how to interpret the Constitution? Um, you know, there are a couple of memos also about whether or not they should be considering putting a woman on the court. And I think that uh, the White House let a lot of people think that they were seriously considering nominating a woman where behind the scenes you can see in the memo that that really wasn't going on at all. Was uh, was Pat influential at all in the Supreme Court uh, picks? Were any of his memos influential in that respect? Uh, I, I think in the sense of why they wanted a strict constructionist on the court. And he, he, you know, as was the case with most of his memos, he would lay out in great detail to the president and, you know, of course... Uh, his chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman, uh, about if you do this, these are the political implications of it. And so there was a lot of discussion about why it would be politically advantageous to pick someone for, from the South, for example, or a particular, you know, uh, judge who had already weighed in on, you know, something like the Southern Manifesto and issues related to, you know, civil rights. Um, it, it was always through the political lens of this is someone qualified, but if you pick this person, you know, this, this is the political advantage for us if you do it. In a particular memo of February 12th, 1971, uh, Pat suggests, uh, suggested Nixon replacing 
the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, who had been there so long. Could you describe this memo a bit? Yeah, that was one of the more interesting memos also because he, you know, he really lays out a case for why Hoover needs to go sooner rather than later. And, you know, J. Edgar Hoover is such a such an intriguing political figure in our nation's history anyway. And, you know, so so Pat's really writing about how we need to let him go out in you know, with the full glory that he deserves, because he's basically destroying his reputation at that point. And, um, you know, it, you could get, you could get, you get a sense of there's, there's a, a personal feeling there about how he hates to see someone who's been so important in this nation's history, you know, tarnish his own reputation before he has a chance to retire with, with, you know, all of the honor that at least people who supported him thought that he deserved. There's another memo. Uh, Nixon announces his trip to China, surprises the world and even much of his staff mm-hmm. on July 15th, 1971, because he had kept it so secret between himself, Dr. Kissinger, mm-hmm. um, Alexander Haig, and a couple of other aides. Buchanan sends a memo the next day. What does he say? And, and that's a very long memo, and it's very detailed. I mean, it's not the only one that he wrote that was that long and that detailed, but he's really he goes point by point on the political implications of this decision. And I think one of the most important points of that memo, at least in my opinion, is laying out to the president that, you know, you have some problems on the right. You have some problems with conservatives, and I'm not sure that this is going to help that. And that I think the overall tone of the memo is that once the euphoria of this passes, the excitement of the announcement, um, the political reality is going to be, we don't know how this is going to go. This could have a very negative impact on your relationship with conservatives. And while we look back on it as such a, such a historic, I mean, it was, it was certainly historic. And, and one of the, the most Im- impressive moments of the Nixon administration, there was a lot of, um, reluctance on the part of some within the White House that this was the right move, because going into the 1972 election, you know, as much of a landslide as it was for Nixon, there was a lot of angst, a lot of anxiety among key advisors in the White House, not knowing that that's how it was going to play out. In your conversations with him, did he talk about these uh, memos in retrospect at all? 50 years uh, later? A, a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, it, the comments he made were in hindsight, and, and he had just been finishing his book on his White House years that he waited a long time to write. And he he was honest with me that he looked back on some of them, and I, I include this in the book, about how he's a little surprised at how harsh his words were at the time. And you know, I guess, which surprised me a little bit because I had been immersing myself in all of these memos for so long that, you know, the, the candor that comes across in every one of the memos, I guess I had just gotten used to it. And so to hear him say, wow, maybe I shouldn't have said that as harshly as I did was, <laughs> I, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was interesting to hear him say that. And I was a little surprised that he said that, but, um, you know, I, I, I actually am someone who appreciates that kind of candor and, and directness and conversation. So um, it was just interesting to, to be able to talk to him about that. Chapter five focuses on primary challengers. What is Buchanan's view on this? Well, his role uh, as far as being part of the attack team, as they called it, uh, was just to learn about every pro and con of every Democrat seeking 
the you know the 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 nomination in 1972 and so the assessment of all of the candidates is just so thorough it's it's um you know it's it's pretty impressive i mean this is the kind of opposition research that i think that you know kind of sets the standard for how campaigns are you know are, are run today because there really isn't any angle of any of those candidates that that pat doesn't lay out and analyze for you know the campaign team and the president to understand what what memos in particular were influential in the campaign, the ultimate campaign against McGovern that year in 1972? I, I think just recognizing the, the weaknesses that McGovern had as a candidate. And you get the sense that, I mean, early on, their greatest fear is that Muskie is going to be the Democratic nominee because you see so many discussions of how... Um, you know, so many people are convinced that if Muskie is the nominee, Nixon may very well lose. And so then they start to, you know, kind of hope for this candidate or that candidate, as long as it's not Muskie. I think there was a great fear that Ted Kennedy would get into the race also. And once the Democrats settled on McGovern, you just kind of sense through a lot of the memos, not only passed, but some of the others I read, that it's like this, this sigh of relief, not assuming that the election was done, but realizing that Democrats just gave them a huge gift with someone... Um, who was just not capable of putting together a broad-based coalition that would have been necessary to beat Richard Nixon in 1972. Chapter 7 talks about Buchanan and uh, the Watergate issue. Is there anything that exemplifies his feelings on how the president should deal with Watergate? What I took away from from that, and and like I said, unfortunately, not all of uh, the material from night, those years are processed and available at the library yet. But what I took away from that was just Pat's deep loyalty to Richard Nixon, not only as president, but as a human being, because you can see the pain that the people closest to him are feeling at that time. They don't want to, you know, admit that they, you know, that he needs to resign from office. They want to continue to fight. And I, you get that sense right up until the end that Pat was going to be one of the, the last defenders of, of Richard Nixon until, you know, there just wasn't anything left to defend. And, you know, I know that not there are people who certainly are never going to be sympathetic to Richard Nixon as, as a human being or even as president, even after all of these years. But it, it was a big takeaway for me looking at that part of, of the administration of just that personal connection that a few of these very loyal advisors had to this man in spite of all of the other things that were going on around. You're a presidential expert. You study elections and uh, the greater uh, topic of political science. What makes Buchanan's memos, what makes him unique as a political advisor to political advisors past and future uh, that succeeded him? I think that for me, for someone who does research in presidential libraries, I mean, one of the most unique aspects is just how much of his thought process, how much of of himself he actually put in all of these memos. It's it's something that I just haven't seen. I mean, obviously, there are a lot of other people out there who have served their presidents well and been excellent advisors and understood the political implication, the political environment of everything that's going on. But there are few memos that I have seen that just 
lay it out in such detail. I, I always pictured this this team of secretaries somewhere in the Nixon White House that were furiously typing away, you know, 24 hours a day just because of just the memos that, that Pat himself was producing. Um, I'm, some of these are single-space, 15, 20-page memos. Uh, and I, I think one of the unique aspects, too, is that, you know, Nixon was reading all of it. And not all presidents read all of the paper that comes across the, their desk, but there's no evidence that I have seen that 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 this president wasn't reading everything that that Pat was sending him, and I, I think that's one of the things that that really makes this 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 case study unique. Our guest in studio today is Chapman University professor of political science and presidential expert Lori Cox Hahn. Our topic was her new book due out this October, advising Nixon, the White House memos of Patrick J. Buchanan. Dr. Lori Cox-Hahn, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Please check back for future podcasts at nixonfoundation.org or on your favorite podcast app. This is Jonathan Mavroides and your Belinda. Belinda.